You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 119. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. 119, another prime number. How is everybody doing out there? What is it like for you to do things sober? What is it like for you to step into this seat of awareness where you really start to ask yourself, why is it that you say the things that you say to yourself and you do the things that you do in your life? Yesterday, we had an amazing, amazing group coaching session with the Wise Mind Empowerment Tribe. This is a collection of people who've stepped into the online course. Some of them have taken my six-week mastermind, and it's just absolutely fantastic to get this collection of like-minded people together to really discuss what it is that we are uh, achieving in our lives and thinking about and doing, right? And, And yes, we certainly have the umbrella of the Wise Mind Empowerment course to utilize as we frame what we discuss. But really, we start to get into these really great conversations about how we talk to ourselves, what models that we're running inside of our head, you know, what are the circumstances, the thoughts, the feelings, the actions and results, you know, how is it that we're using our motor habits to change things in our lives? And yesterday we were talking about um, automatic negative thoughts and what are these thoughts that automatically come into our head and how are we making decisions based off of how we talk to ourselves. And it got me to thinking, what is it like to do things sober? What is it like to step into this world where things that we once thought we could only do intoxicated came back to us tenfold and were actually way more fun to experience when we stepped into a seat of awareness that said, I don't need to be intoxicated to enjoy my life. I can't help but think about all the things I used to think were never going to be fun if I wasn't intoxicated that I now find intensely enjoyable. Going to concerts, movies, going out to eat, heck, watching football games with my Gator Alumni Club, or just sitting at home watching football on a Sunday on uh, the Red Zone channel and not needing to plow through a 12-pack of beer. And so many different things that I find fun now that I wouldn't have thought of before. And I think what what sparked this desire to talk about this today, you know, not just obviously I'm shooting this after the Wise Mind Empowerment class yesterday, because the, just getting with everybody and having these conversations and, and, and being able to really dive into what it is people are experiencing in their lives. And not even, not everybody in this class and not everybody who takes this is in sobriety and recovery. There are some people who are still dabbling with substances and there's other people who just have the other mental health things that they are looking to work their way and achieve their way through. So you realize that the more I build this tribe, the more it's just everybody is invited. It's just a matter of raising your hand, step up, let's get on a conversation and let's figure this out. But ultimately in life, we we will find ourselves at a fork in the road. We're making a decision on whether do I continue doing it the way I've always done or do I start to seek different ways to do it so that I can feel it, see it, hear it, achieve it differently. 
life doesn't stop. We are going to make money and spend money. We're going to have time and use time and waste time. We're going to have energy and use it effectively. We're going to have energy and and waste it. We're going to not have energy and feel lethargic. We're going to not have energy and still push through. There's going to be people that come and go out of our lives. And as I started to really get philosophical in my mind about this, and mind you, I've just poured through four different books about habits, um, the power of habit, atomic habits, willpower, and um, habit stacking. At the same time, I'm listening to Untethered Soul, and I just went through this amazing NLP comprehensive book. So I've, I have all these different books in my head. They're all creating this this magic, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet, but shooting a podcast and talking about it definitely seems like the first step. And so as I start to wax philosophically about this inner voice in my head that never shuts up, that constantly goes, you know, as I was making some comments about this inner critic that we all have in our heads yesterday in the class, oh, one of the tribal members, Miles, was like, you know, I heard a lot of can't. I heard a lot of away from energy, Jesse. I heard a lot of negation, right? Said things of that nature. And I was like, you're right. Like, no matter how much I strive to up-level and learn and grow and move through limiting beliefs and old versions of Jesse and, and, you know, just old chapters that I've already read. There's going to be that human nature tendency to fall back on some of the old ways of thinking. And it's not negative when that happens. We don't want to judge our lives like, is this right or is this wrong? Should I have said this or should I not have? We just want to step into that seat of awareness where we question why we're saying that. What is the driver internally that is causing me to feel this and then say it and then see it in my life? It's funny, the more I get involved in coaching others and and really taking what I've learned to coach myself and then externally utilizing it to help others, the more I realize that And I think I even said this in the class yesterday, and and I've realized it, but it's like the more it really becomes aware, the more I see the experience of it actually unfolding in front of my eyes, that life coaches don't have it all figured out. We just have a ton of resources that help us figure out a way through it more effectively or efficiently than others. We've read enough, we, we've taught enough, we've experienced enough that says, oh, wow, I just caught myself saying some whack limiting belief BS. How can I push myself through this? How can I not even push? Because that almost sounds like, uh, like I'm pushing away, right? How can I pull myself toward where I want to be? And this is the key, is that there is not a coach or a mentor alive, worth a grain of salt anyways, who would say, I've got it all figured out, follow me, I'm your guru. Even Tony Robbins, who has been heralded as one of the better, if not best, version of an NLP practitioner, and how they've been able to take it onto a worldwide stage and help tens of thousands of people. Even that man has said, look, I'm not your guru, I don't have it all figured out. I just have a lot of things figured out that help me figure out things continuously. And that's all I seek for myself and for others, is that we just, if we if we say something, if we make a decision that we are just in that seat of awareness that allows us to step back and say, why did I make that decision? Is that the way I want to be making decisions? We all have a decision-making process in our head. And 
it's, it, it starts to become this feedback loop. The longer we make decisions a certain way, you know, whether it turns out good or bad, the more that decision-making process just becomes our default. And if we don't step outside of how am I making decisions and say, hmm, what are the drivers that I'm using in my life? What are the things that I'm taking into account when I make decisions? Then we miss out on that opportunity to really be in that seat of awareness. And I keep saying seat of awareness because Untethered Soul is, is drilling it into my head. I'm absolutely fascinated with this book. I've talked about it in all my classes. I've talked about it with all my other coaching peers. I, I, I just cannot stop enough. And it's not because... Um, I've got it all figured out. In fact, the book is very confusing and I'm listening to it on Audible and I've got the actual book and I'm going to have to listen to this thing so many times and I'm, I am sure at some point it's going to click and I'm going to finally figure it out. And I mean, you listen to it. It's not complicated. It's just normal words put in normal sentences. It's not like the guy's speaking gibberish or a foreign language. It's just sometimes I listen to it. I'm like, okay, great. I know all of this, but how can I actually shut up the inner critic? How can I actually just quiet them down, turn the volume down and say, I'm going to do it my way. Stop inner critic. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's fascinating. I can't wait. I can't wait to dive into it more. Where this podcast is going, so it doesn't just become the rambling nonsense of a madman, is I want to discuss how we're making decisions. How are we making decisions? And as I've gotten a little bit more philosophical about this in my own life, and I've started to say, okay, Jesse, how do you make decisions? I've begun to figure out that it comes down to these four main components. And I've done so much reading in life, and especially in my sobriety and recovery, that I feel pretty confident in saying that these four seem to be the main drivers in most people's lives. And they certainly have shown themselves in mine. And when I've made decisions over the last how many ever months that I've been thinking about this, I started to really say, okay, which one of these four is the driver in this particular situation? So now that I've gotten you all pumped up about the motivation for why this should matter to you and why you should be paying attention to me at all in this episode, let's discuss these four because I just just got done doing 50 minutes of my College Success Habit podcast on this subject. And originally, um, this episode was going to be me taking apart a couple different articles I read about um, alcoholism and addiction um, in some Atlantic Magazine articles. That's going to be for a later episode because there's a lot of fun stuff in there. And I want to really get into that. But for now, I really feel like bringing this episode to you guys is going to be very beneficial. Because let's talk about the four ways that I see these drivers showing up in my life and how they might very well be your drivers for how you're making decisions. And the four are time, energy, money, and people. If you have paper in front of you, if you can take notes, if you're not driving, time, energy, money, people. When I think about how I make decisions, when I really step back and notice how I see other people making decisions in their lives, very much comes down to time, energy, money, and people. When we're young, we have, and I remember reading this somewhere a long time ago, and I'm sure it was by a smarty pants person, and clearly it, it 
made an impact. They said that in the three phases of our lives, we've got you know childhood and adolescence, we've got adulthood, and we've got um, senior citizen, you know, old age. And so when you're young, you've got a ton, ton of time and energy, but very little money, and you're being controlled by the people around you. You don't really have free will. You have you, you're, what you do in your life is very much predicated by uh, what the adults in their lives are willing to, and, and able to allow you to do. And of course, their decisions about what you can do are being based on their own allocation of their time, energy, money, and people resources. So as, a, as somebody who's young, you're, you might have a ton of time and energy, but you don't have the money and you don't have the free will because other people decide things for you. When you get into adulthood, you have the money and you have the energy, but you don't have necessarily the time because now you have a job. Now you have responsibilities and there's also allocations of your money to mortgages or rent or car insurance and car payments. And you've got to buy your own food because that's what you do when you're an adult. (laughs) Parents don't buy things for you like they used to. And of course, people. Right, you've got a boss, or you've got a spouse, you've got children, you've got to answer to. So now, all of a sudden, you might have money and energy, but you don't have the time, and you also have to take in other people's um, their desires for what they need from you. When you get into old age, all of a sudden, tons of time and money, but not necessarily the energy. And I really, honestly, do believe that. Your your age is more predicated on your inner on your energy and attitude than it is about an actual number. I know plenty of seventy year olds who have the energy and attitude of a forty year old, and I know plenty of forty year olds have the energy and attitude of a seventy year old. So I don't. I really do think that Aaliyah song from back in the day, "Age Ain't Nothing But a Number," is absolutely true. Regardless of how many people in Hollywood are spending billions and millions a year to try to make themselves look younger, it really it just comes down to energy and attitude. Yeah, I get it. If you want to be on the cover of magazines and be super hot and famous, maybe you don't want to necessarily have wrinkles. But hey, that's your subjective reality. I've got my own. So now we're in old age and we've got time and money, but we, we have less energy. And obviously there's still people. And people is that one that goes for all of it. Throughout your life, there's going to be this desire to have people around or to not have certain people around. And then maybe you're trying to dip and dodge them. But either way, people is this one thing that seems to span across our lives because we do nothing in a bubble. There is no self-made millionaire. There are people who are just not aware of how many hundreds, if not thousands of people actually help them achieve what it is that they've achieved. Jeff Bezos came up with the idea for Amazon and borrowed $100,000 from his parents, had venture capital people step in that were okay with the fact that Amazon hemorrhaged money for its first 20 years. It's okay. He saw long term, but he didn't do it on his own. No one does anything on their own. We think we're doing it on our own because we're not just being aware. Unless you live out in the middle of Nowheresville, Alaska, Right, but still, I used to watch a show called Off the Grid or Below Zero, Life Below Zero, or something. And yes, there were some people who lived out in the middle of nowhere by themselves. But every once in a while, they would take that five-day trek into wherever the nearest town was and buy rice. Now that was the rice they ate for the rest of the year. Well, they needed somebody to grow the rice, cultivate the rice, package the rice, bring it to that store, and sell it to them. So one way or another, they still needed somebody. 
They're using an axe that they bought from a store. They didn't make that axe themselves. They still at some point needed somebody else. I just give you that story to just cancel any debate we might have about there are people out there doing things on their own. One way or another, another human has supported that. Just like in addiction recovery, when we find that the opposite of addiction is connection, the more connection we get, the more we can really begin to blossom into this version of ourselves. So when we ask ourselves, what is it like to do things sober? When we really start to step into this seat of awareness, we can start to notice how our money, time, energy, and people affecting how we see our sobriety, how we experience our sobriety, how we're experiencing life in general. When you start to look at your life as I make decisions based off the money I have or don't have, the time I think I have or don't have, the energy I think I have or don't have, the people I have in my life or don't have in my life, we very much start to see where we're being magnetically drawn to certain things over others. And we're not looking to judge this right or wrong. We just want to step into the seat of awareness that says, this is why I'm making the decisions I'm making. Did I make this decision based off of money, time, energy, or people? I notice this a lot because as a, as a coach, as a trainer, as a mentor, as somebody who goes out there and seeks to grow a community where people can uh, you know, open their minds and open their lives to whole new ways of thinking, right? When I get objections to people wanting to join or wanting to experience what it is we do here, even hitting play on this podcast, there's still some level of allocation of your time, money, energy, or people. It doesn't have to always be all four, but there is definitely going to be an equation where at least one of these is always involved. You hitting play on this podcast costs you no money, but you, if you're listening to me on your phone, you have to spend money to have a phone and to have a Wi-Fi plan. The time, whether I am succinct and get a show out in 20 minutes, which I don't know if I've ever done, or whether it takes an hour, <laughs> there's a time allocation resource there. How much energy do you have? Do you have the energy to think about what I'm going to talk about? Do you have the energy to go out and apply the things that we're discussing on this show into your life? Are you even trying? Right, And then, of course, people. Do you even like me? Do you even want to talk to other people about what it is you're learning? If you're listening to this podcast and you find it beneficial and you're not telling other people about it, ask yourself, why is that? Why would you hold back a resource? Do you think other people may not like it and then they'll judge you for listening to it? Or do you, are you more concerned about just experiencing it on your own and not sharing it? Like these aren't, I'm not questioning what your decision-making process is. I'm not even questioning whether you're doing it or not. I'm just asking for you to ask yourself, why are you making these decisions about listening to the podcast? Money, time, energy, people. And where are you sharing it or not sharing it? And why are you doing those things? Again, so often when we hear a question like, why are you doing that? It almost sounds like we should, it, the word why can sound very abrasive and almost to the point where you're questioning the decision-making process of somebody. It really is just an opportunity to just be more aware of the driver that's happening in your life. Time, energy, money, people. These are the four things. Now, if you can come up with some others, 
by all means, throw them my way. Uh, you know, go over in social media and comment on this. I will post a picture. I keep saying I'm going to be posting pictures about the podcast on my Instagram feed. And now I've, uh, and last week, I think I posted one. I was like, you know, it would be really cool if I just took a screenshot of what this looks like on Spotify and then just go put it over there and then, you know, go and find it when you listen to it, you know, drop in your juicy little nugget. What was your key takeaway? How do you make decisions? Is it time? Is it money? Is it energy? Is it people? What is your primary driver? And is there even a primary driver? Or is it more about how there are different times in, in your life where you're making a decision based on different things? It's not something to be worried about when you question your drivers. It's something to be curious and desire to know more about. Money is a big thing. We think it's a finite resource because we watch it come in and then we watch it go out. But in reality, there, there, we always have an abundance. It's just how are we spending it, right? It's our mindset around time and money and energy can often be a scarcity mode. You're like, well, Jesse, I only make 500 a week, so money is not super abundant. I don't care what you say. Absolutely, I get that there's a, there is a... There's this preconceived idea that there's a limitation on how much money we have. But if all of a sudden we found out that, you know, uh, we had cancer or, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if this is the best analogy, but it's like if all of a sudden there was a debilitating need in our lives health-wise, we'd figure out how to get those resources together. We'd figure out how to get that money together because we would want to get healed. We'd want to get cured whether it was writing a letter for a grant or whether it was calling up a hospital and finding somebody who would do it on the, on the cheapy cheap, whatever it was, we would figure it out. So where in our lives are we holding ourselves back based off of money when we could just go find a better job, pick up a side hustle? We could do something. If it mattered enough, you would figure it out. If you're in the middle of the desert and your tire goes flat, it blows out and you don't have a spare, you're not just going to stand there and wait for the coyotes to circle you. You're going to figure a way out of it. And when we got into sobriety and recovery, we weren't always sure how we were, how we were, how we were going to make it happen. We just decided that it was time to figure that part of it out. It's really hilarious how much money I used to waste on alcohol and drugs. And then I'll look now and I'm not blowing a thousand dollars a month on that stuff. And I still don't feel like I often have enough money to, to get the things I desire or buy the things I want. But when I was using, I always had money for cocaine. Not really sure how that worked out, but I always had money for cocaine. <laughs> Where in our lives are we thinking we're scarce now when we're actually more abundant than we were then? But yet we were making that happen Right? Oh, I can't eat healthy. Organic food costs too much. But I had no problem dropping $300 on a weekend at the bar. It didn't cost $300 to buy organic for vegetables for a whole month. And that's a whole month of eating delicious. And again, I don't buy organic vegetables very often. Uh, but at the same time, I'm just using this as an example. We seem to have plenty of money for cocaine and booze and, and party time, but not necessarily as much booze to get a gym membership or to pay our bills on time or to eat healthier, to focus on what it is that's actually going to up-level our lives. But when it came to an addictive substance, always had money for that. Always had enough time to go to the bar and get wasted. Always had enough time to lay in bed all day hungover. But now all of a sudden I don't have time to read this book, 
that will take 30 minutes if I just read five or 10 pages and it's a 300 page book. So if I read 10 pages a day in one month, I'd have the book read. That's better than not having any books read in one year. And then what about our energy? I could be dragging ass tired, but somehow still manage to get to the bar and drink for four hours. But yet I somehow can't get up off, you know, out of the office chair and go work out on any given day because oh, I'm just so tired. You know what working out does for me? It gives me energy. I actually walk out of those things feeling better and more alert and more alive and more ready to rock and roll. It's very peculiar how the energy expended during a workout actually comes back to me tenfold later on throughout the day and the week and the month. I have more energy when I work out and I feel like better in my body than whenever I don't. And I've noticed on the days I think that I'm too tired to work out when I just push through and just hit play, boy, 30 minutes later, I'm like, man, am I glad I did that. And then think about people. What are the people in your life that you're spending your time and your money and your energy upon? See, the people is the one thing in this, in that example I gave at the beginning of the show. When you're young, you have time and energy. When you're an adult, you have money and energy. And when you're old age, you have time and money. There's always, but there's in that example, there in this, in this model, there's always one of them that was missing of the three. But people is the one that spans throughout. When you're young, you're reliant on people because you can't, you're not self-sufficient yet. When you're in adulthood, you're reliant on people for the jobs that you have or the people in your home, the love you have. You get into old age, you generally find that most people in their senior citizen years are married. And so they have that one person they're always with and they might go travel and do whatever they do, but there's a little bit more solitude. And we don't necessarily want old people to feel like there's solitude, but that just generally seems to be something that's happening a lot in our society especially among the Caucasian culture where it's not normal for the grandparents to move into the house where it might be for other cultures. And so people is something that always spans across. So since people span across everywhere, they're going to be a a consistent um, allocation of your money, time, and energy. And are these the people you want to be allocating your money, time, or energy toward? For a lot of the friends that I keep up with over the phone, especially, all that allocation really is is time and energy. I'm not spending any money to call a friend, but it could take 30 minutes of my time. And it will, there will definitely be an energy expenditure as I get to, to catch up with them and think about them and whatever's happening on that call, right? Somebody right in front of you could be taking up your money, your time, and your energy, Because now they're in front of you and they want to go do something. And going and doing something costs you money. So when we go back to the original question at the beginning of this is, what is it like to do things sober? I want you to to sit down and say, okay, life is immeasurably better sober. For anybody who has spent a period of time in it and really stepped into addiction recovery. Even as we battle through and as we work through not even sure battle is the right word, but as we begin to work through and journey through sobriety into an addiction recovery, some people might say, well, Jesse, you know, sobriety isn't always amazing. Well, it's really life that isn't always amazing. Sobriety is just a facet of our lives. When we, when we can say, you know what, I get 
that having a buzz when you're at a party and you feel a little socially awkward makes yourself a little bit more outgoing and makes you laugh a little bit more. And there's some really great material in that Atlantic article we're going to go over in one of these episodes coming up that talks about why human beings drink and what the driver is and how really a lot of societies over the last couple thousand years really held, it went all the way back to like 10,000 years ago in this article. Society really was built upon intoxication and, and inebriation. So when we ask ourselves, what is it like to do things sober now? What we're really saying is, is it okay for me to be sober when most people around me won't be? And is going to the bowling alley sober more fun than when it on three pitchers of beer? Clearly, there are some ways that we, if we wanted to just be, you know, just be neutral on this and say, was drinking fun? There was a time when it was fun. There was a time at the beginning where it was a blast. Unfortunately, it went from being the fun and then it just became a necessity. And then there was a lot of um, solo, isolated drinking. And the article talks about this too. When drinking starts to turn into this isolation habit, now all of a sudden you've taken the social, this, the, this, the social, I almost said socialism out of it, but then that's going to sound like I'm talking about like, I don't know, a Cuban political system. <laughs> when you take being social out of the drinking aspect, then it becomes very depressing and you're just sitting at home and you're drinking by yourself. And this is, the, this is that spiral we talk about getting into. As the addiction grew, all of a sudden, needing to be at the bar and needing to be social became less and less, and it became more of an isolated behavior. This is where you start to see um, housewives in suburbia and men in the, in the rural areas, especially up in the big sky country, where you start to see a lot of suicide rates increase the more isolated men get and the more drinking they do alone. So when we go back to what is it like to do things sober, it can be fun or it can be difficult. It's all about how we want to frame it. And while I didn't dive so much into going into different aspects of what I enjoy doing sober, because it's more about what is it that you can enjoy doing sober. In 2013, it was the, in 2012, I went and drove my motorcycle around the country, spreading my mother's ashes in over 100 places in 29 states. It was 12,000 miles. It took me four months. I spent a majority of that motorcycle trip blasted, wasted, drunk, driving my motorcycle on like a fifth of vodka every day. That experience wasn't what it could have been because I, I wasted away being drunk. And I look back and I'm like, man, it's just like, what ended up happening is I, I got drunk the night before I left for the trip. And it was like each day I was just trying to overcome the hangover. So it'd be a six pack and then it would be a bottle of vodka. And before you knew it, it was a six pack and a bottle. I, I was drinking beer before I even got on the motorcycle in the morning. It was just, ugh. but the next summer, I, I remember I was still in L. I mean, still in LA. I still am in LA. I remember thinking, I want this summer to be amazing. It won't be like the motorcycle trip, but what can I do to make it amazing? So I, I decided I was going to go and see over a hundred bands that summer. So I started buying up all these concert tickets and I didn't necessarily go to a hundred separate concerts. I, I just made sure I saw a hundred bands and I would count opening acts too. Although four different weeks, I saw five concerts in, in one week. So four different weeks, I saw five shows. So at least 20 just in that one month. And 
at the beginning of the summer, I wasn't drinking when I went to the shows. I said, no drinking. Let's just be sober. Let's enjoy the concerts. Something shifted in the middle of the summer and I started to drink and I started to black out at the shows. And I have a, there's definitely a point where I remember all the concerts I was doing in the summer of 2013. And then all of a sudden they got very fuzzy and hazy. And in some cases I would black out in just the worst places. And I say all of this because it's like the beginning of the summer, I was loving these concerts because I was going sober and I was remembering and enjoying them. I mean, I saw Elton John and Nine Inch Nails and Pearl Jam and Fish and Grateful Dead and The Killers and Green Day. I mean, you name it. I saw all these amazing bands. Then in the latter part of the summer, I started blacking out at Arcade Fire and and Franz Ferdinand shows and, and just not great. And I was enjoying them so much more sober, but for some reason I started going to them intoxicated and I couldn't stop. It's like once I, once I broke that seal, it just went. And so you start asking yourself, what is it like to do things sober? And you step back and say, well, how am I deciding if I'm even enjoying this sober or not? And now I say, let's run it through the, the filters of money, time, energy, and people. But not, you know, Going to an event sober means you're not buying $15 beers. There's your, there's your money driver. The time of not you know going and getting to the bar early or going to the bar afterwards or being hungover the next day, boom. What's it like doing that sober? That's awesome. Energy, you end up having a ton of energy the next day after a concert because you didn't get blasted the night before. And while, yes, I didn't get to have that sort of goofy, crazy little teenager feeling when I was at the concert because I was on six shots and three beers. I still had the energy to jump up and down and enjoy the show because I was there and I was being present in the moment. And people, I don't, I, all those shows I went to in 2013, very few times did I actually go with anyone else. I would just randomly, oh my goodness, there's a concert tonight. Didn't even know it. I saw cake that summer and I was like, uh, literally found out about the show that morning and went and bought a ticket. So where was I out? You know, where is doing things sober more fun when there's people there or where is there an area of your life where you don't need someone there and just going there and walking in the park or being in the zoo by yourself, spending that time amongst the the nature of a zoo. And as much as I really wish zoos weren't necessary in our civilization, uh, in many ways, there's a lot of animals in there that wouldn't be alive if they weren't able to be in that zoo. So I'm just, I say all that just in case somebody out there is like, zoos are horrible. I, I agree. I'm not thrilled with zoos, but let's face it. Uh, I'm not really sure how many albino rhinos would be alive anymore if they weren't in zoos. So I used to go to the zoo all the time and get super drunk. And now I love going to the zoo and being sober. So what is it like doing things sober? Ask yourself, what filters are you running these experiences through? Money, time, energy, people. I will say it to the top of the mountain that being sober is infinitely better than being drunk. Yes, if I were to go back and ask 18 to 22-year-old Jesse that or even 22 to 30-year-old Jesse, he'd be like, are you kidding me, bro? Everything is better with booze, cocaine, and marijuana. But then it started to kill me, and then the medicine became the poison. And so now that we're stepping into this seat of awareness where we say, okay, I'm ready to be sober. I'm ready to be in sobriety. I'm ready to journey into addiction recovery. When you start to make these decisions about what you're going to do sober, what you're going to do in your addiction recovery, what you're going to do with your life, get down a piece of paper and write, how am I allocating my money, my time, my energy? 
these are the three things that, that we will be battling with or enjoying. I gotta stop saying battling. These are the three things that we, these are the three filters we run our lives through. And then we have people. And people is always gonna be there. We might not think there's money. We might not think there's time. We might not think there's energy. And we might even not think that there's people. But if we really were to be self-aware, there's a little bit of all four of those being utilized in every single decision that we make. It's up to you to figure out if how you're making decisions is benefiting you or if it's leading you down an undesirable path. In that seat of awareness where you can seriously ask yourself, not from a place of judgment, but a place of seeking to understand yourself at a deeper level, am I okay with how I'm allocating my resources of money, time, energy, and people? When you can just be in that seat of awareness, that's when you can open your eyes and really be an observer of what it is that you're doing. We want to be present in the moment, experiencing things through our own eyes. But like we talked about in last week's episode, experiencing things through our own eyes. But there's absolutely an opportunity to step into the observer role and question why we make the decisions that we do. Again, not to judge right or wrong, but to seek to understand. Stand. And that is just another beautiful way to journey into addiction recovery. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I love you guys. How on earth did I just talk about this for 37 minutes? I looked at the clock a minute ago. I was like, oh, cool, 20. I was like, I'm going to get out of here in 30 minutes. All right, as always. Probably uh, did a little rambling diatribe at the end there. I love you all. I am honored to have you here. Episode 119. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy. Release and flow. Before I leave you guys on this, please, if you have... uh, been sparked, if you've been fired up, if you have something that you want to comment, go over to the From Sobriety to Recovery Instagram page, leave a comment on one of my posts, DM me, raise your hand if you would like to be involved in the Wise Mind Empowerment Tribe. There are so many different ways for you to be involved. I have made it very affordable. If, if, if money is one of your resources you think is scarce, I have made it so that it's, it's very much self-paced. Uh, in certain aspects of time is one of your resources. If you don't think you have enough energy to be able to complete things, I have certainly figured out ways to move you through that limiting belief. And if you're looking for people who are like-minded, who are growing towards something you want to grow toward, I can assure you, you will find those people in my tribe. As always, I am blessed to have you here. Hit me up. Let me know if you would like to get more information about this and we'll set up a phone call. Uh, We'll do some to make sure that you are noticed. Raise your hand and I will call upon you. All right, that's it. Shout out to Sunshine. Glow on. See you next week. Bye-bye. 